Well, good morning. It's good to be back home. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know me, well, you are blessed of the Lord. But you're fixing to know me, which means that blessing's about to evaporate. Uh, but I, uh, I grew up here uh, in Simmons Grove and uh, was very blessed to call this, still call this my home church, and to be able to look out and see so many familiar faces of folks that were so extraordinarily helpful to me uh, in, in the very early years of ministry. I've been in vocational ministry now about 25 years, which sounds kind of strange coming out of my mouth since I said it out loud. That means I'm old. Uh, but, um, 25 years. Uh, I can think back to a, a Mother's Day service 25 years ago this past May when I walked down this aisle and, and announced that God had called me into vocational ministry. And then um, that next year, actually entered into that, that as a, a full-time profession and um, enrolled in seminary. And I honestly, I'd say this without reservation, would not have been able to do it had it not been for, for this church and for what you did uh, not only with uh, your financial help during those years, but uh, most importantly, your prayer help uh, during those years. And I was just reminded uh, in talking with Jacob and uh, just looking at the fact that my hair used to be that color. And uh, both of them, both of them were that color. And seeing the little the young ones running around, man, these are great days. Great days. Treasure these days. And... Uh, I just thank you so much for uh, allowing me to be here today. It's um, my joy and my privilege to be here. Uh, the rest of my family wasn't able to, to make the trip. My eldest son is getting married next Saturday. So uh, uh, as I told some of you, they, had, they made an agreement with us that they would keep it small and they would keep it simple. They've done pretty well on keeping it small. So far I haven't seen simple. So uh, it's, it's getting a little bit crazy uh, around, around our place. And so uh, my wife and two daughters were, were uh, out pretty late last night uh, helping with some of those preparations. So they didn't make, weren't able to make the drive this morning. And then they all, most of them had responsibilities of the church that we serve now. So uh, you're just stuck with me, but uh, Dad's here and, and uh, some, some friends from other places. So thank you for being here. Um, I remember, man, I remember homecomings at Simmons Grove. That that. Those are good days. Those were good days. And you didn't have to tell them that lunch was coming. It's going to come up the stairs. It's going to waft up here just a little while, and, and every Baptist will know that there's food down there. Um, Y'all remember those days when we would go and we would eat lunch, and then we'd come back in the afternoon. You remember that? And there'd usually be singing, and Ernest Inman would give his very colorful cemetery report. You remember those days? Man, when you can give a cemetery report and have people laughing about it, you got talent. You got talent every year, every year. It was great. Well, uh, I, I would love to, to continue to reminisce, but I, I think we came here for a much more important purpose. And that's to see what God would have to say to us this morning from His Word. So I'm going to go ahead and invite you to turn to, in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. That's where we'll be spending our time this morning. And uh, if, if you've had an opportunity to, to see the text or the title for today's sermon, you might be a little bit concerned. I can understand that. I was concerned when I wrote it down and sent it to Jacob. I was concerned my invitation would be revoked, but it was not. 
but if, if you're a note taker and you don't have that in front of you and you, and you like to make titles, here's, here's, here's your title. Pigs, Pearls, and Other Problems. Pigs, Pearls, and Other Problems. We're going to be focusing this morning on Matthew chapter 7, particularly in verse 6. And we'll read that text in just a moment. But I want to just kind of on-ramp a little bit to where we're going with this. Otherwise, you might be very concerned as well. I, I am convinced particularly over, over these years in ministry, that, that people, people tend to live in the prisons that they make themselves. Most people live in prisons of their own making. And that really has two meanings that we're going to address this morning. On the one hand, we, we typically think of that statement as referring to those that have made bad choices. And they have made those choices and have found themselves in certain circumstances that end up being a prison of their own making. And, and while that's true, that's not really where I want to go with that this morning. I think it's uh, something that God's been teaching me over the past couple of years uh, through a, a study through the Sermon on the Mount and coming across this particular verse that quite frankly, I just want to be honest with you this morning, for a long, long time in my life, I really didn't know what in the world to do with this verse. Anybody else feel that way? I mean, you read through the Beatitudes and they're beautiful, right? You get over into chapter 6 and, you, and you've learned about the Lord's Prayer and all these, I mean, you get all these practical things and you get into chapter 7 and it's, you know, take the plank out of your eye before you help your brother with a speck in his eye and then all of a sudden you just, out of nowhere, out of nowhere you get to this verse. Let's, let's just read it together. Matthew 7, verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under, your feet, under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. And then it's just like Jesus sort of picks right back up in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. And, and I don't know if you feel this way or not, but frankly, when I look at verse 6, I'm like, where in the world did that come from? Anybody else? Can y'all help me? You're like, that, that just that, that doesn't fit. How does, how does this work? I mean, and, and I, think it's because, I think it's because everyone interprets Scripture from out of their own experience. I think that's part of, part of how we, we come to the Scripture. Now, that's, that's frankly part of the things we have to unlearn in order to really see the Scripture for what it's saying. But here in the South, and I, I think I can speak with an authority on this because I is one. Here in the South, and particularly here in the Pilot Mountain area, I, I feel like what we're going to talk about today is something that I have experienced and you've probably experienced in a very powerful way. Because you see, here in the South, we don't have Ten Commandments, we have eleven. Did y'all know that? Flip to Exodus 20, you'll see it's written in your Bibles. Grandma wrote it in there for you, okay? We don't have Ten Commandments, we have eleven. And the eleventh commandment here in the South is, Thou shalt be nice. And nice is spelled with about 13 eyes in it, you know. Thou shalt be nice. You cannot at any point in your earthly journey, as we pass through this veil of shadows, you cannot at any point ever be anything other than nice. But there's a significant problem with that. Jesus wasn't always... Nice. Now, I didn't say Jesus wasn't Southern. He is from the tribe of Judah, and that's in the South. I didn't say that. 
Just saying that when you get to verse 6 and you read the words, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. It's obvious that Jesus is not just talking about canines or swine. He's, he's obviously using this as a metaphor to represent people. And I don't know what your grandma taught you, but my grandma taught me to call somebody a dog or a pig. Well, nice. Amen? So, this verse just makes us a little uncomfortable. It just doesn't harmonize with our culture, and so what do we do with it? Well, you know exactly what we do with it. We skip over it. We get to verse 5 and we go to, you know, through verse 6 and then we go right on with verse 7 as if verse 6 doesn't belong there because if we're really honest, it just seems so out of place. It seems so not like Jesus. It just doesn't fit with that precious moments Bible version of Jesus that we all carry around in our, our, our brain. You know the one I'm talking about where he's got the white robe on and he's got the real fluffy lamb draped around his shoulders and... Jesus is smiling and so is the Lamb. You know that picture? That's, it, it, is, is that the picture we have in our mind when, when we see this same Jesus saying to the scribes and Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you den of thieves? It just doesn't seem nice. And so we just assume that that's just not really something we can understand and we just move on past it. Because the Jesus that we've all heard about and the Jesus that we've all learned about is, is at all times kind and merciful. And Jesus can't change. We know that. That's, that's definitely a part of Scripture. So how is it possible then that that kind of precious moments Bible Jesus could say something as unkind as there are some folks who, who you need to treat like dogs and pigs? What are we to do with this verse? Well, I'll tell you what we shouldn't do with it. We shouldn't take it out of its context. Cults get started that way. We don't, we don't take a verse out of its context, nor do we take a verse and just ignore it like we have really done with this verse. You, we have to do what we do with every other verse. We have to treat this it's the same way that we would John 3.16. We need to look at it in its context. Every verse has a context and we need to try to understand it in its context. So if you would, just, just humor me and let's go back and read some of the context. Let's begin in verse 1. Matthew 7 verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. Well, that's not nice either, is it? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Well, every verse has a context, and this context unfortunately begins with one of the most misquoted verses in all of Scripture. 
typically the world just grabs a hold of those first two words in Matthew 7, 1, judge not. Shouldn't judge people. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Don't judge anybody. Oh, don't say anything. It's not nice. Can't judge people. And yet it seems rather odd to me, as I hope it does to you, that if Jesus had intended to just give some kind of broad brush prohibition against any type of judgment or discernment, seems rather strange to me that He would then follow that up with directions as to how to do it. That seems strange to anybody else? Because what Jesus is really saying here is not, He's not saying don't judge people. He's not saying don't discern people's behavior. That's not at all what He's saying. He is simply saying that we need to evaluate the behavior of other people by the same standard that we're prepared to be evaluated by. That's what Jesus is saying. So the context here, particularly with His whole speck and plank thing that's happening here, seems to, seems to be a very clear situation to where Jesus is instructing His disciples on how to deal with other people and their problems. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, how to deal with other people and their problems, particularly, particularly when they are problems having to do with the choices that they have made. They've got a speck in their eye. There's something that's not quite right in their life. They are making self-destructive choices that are bringing pain in their life. And out of love for them, we want to help. And Jesus says, time out. If you really want to help them, then make sure that you're in the best position to help them. And that is to get the plank out of your own eye first. So that you'll be able to help them with the speck in theirs. Jesus never said, He never said that we need to get to the place to where we are 100% sinless and perfect before we ever help anybody else. He never said that. And He certainly did not say that you never want to get to the place that you ever get involved in somebody else's business. Now, I know I just slaughtered like two-thirds of Surrey County culture right there. But I, that's kind of my job. We've got to make sure that our culture lines up with what's in the Scripture. And what happens in our churches... What ha and I don't mean this church or that church. I'm I've been in a lot of churches. And, and it's... The, every church I've ever been in is exactly the same. Exactly the same. Now the faces and the names are different, but the same characters are still there. It's just like going and watching a remake of a movie. You're like, I remember this plot. I recognize that character. Different face, different voice, but I know that character. And you know why all, the ch all churches are the same? Because they're filled with people. And people are the same. Everywhere that you go, every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us has specks or planks in our eye. And, and there are things that need to be dealt with in order for us to, to be the kinds of people that we need to be as we follow Christ. But what Jesus is clearly saying here in the context around this verse is that oftentimes we're going to need other people's help. And that's where we tend to draw the line and say, hmm... I just don't think it's nice to get involved in somebody else's business. Have we really thought through that? I mean, do we really believe that sin is self-destructive? Do we believe that? Sin is self-destructive. 
And if you are caught up this morning here in this place and you are in the midst of sin and sin is operating in your life, then I want to love you enough to say that sin is self-destructive. I want to love you enough to say that. I can't imagine having a, a son or a daughter or a parent or a cousin or, or anyone that I, that I know that, that I care about and love that, that could be caught up in some type of criminal activity or caught up in some type of addictive lifestyle and me just sort of withdraw and say, well, I'll pray for them. You know, I think Jesus wants us to put some feats to our prayers sometimes. You with me? Well, I'll pray for them. Well, by all means, pray for them. But if somebody needs help, what must we as God's people do? We need to love them enough to help. Right? But, and we're about done with the introduction in case you're pacing this. But, I think we would all say, and we would all agree that what Jesus is saying here in verse 6 is He's kind of bringing this wisdom and love balance to the situation of helping people with their problems. And what He's saying to you and what He's saying to me in verse 6, in its context, is that we need to be wise, not wasteful, in how we help others with their problems. Hence the whole thing of don't give what is holy to dogs or don't give your pearls to swine. It's wasteful to give what is holy to dogs. Why? Well, if we're talking about the legit, you know, the the literal canine animal, dogs don't appreciate what's holy. Dogs don't appreciate anything that's not edible. Is, is my experience because we we've got what? Well, let me. My wife has. Let me clarify that. My wife has this this. The dog. It's this little thing. It's a little shizu. Any shizu people in here? All right, good. We can talk about it. So this thing is as cute as can be. I mean, and, and pretty smart to have a brain the size of a walnut. I mean, it's really not that, not that bad. But this dog, when we got this dog, this little puppy, and she was about that big when we brought her home, ate everything in our house. And I'm not even going to add the phrase, that wasn't nailed down, because she ate some stuff that was nailed down. We've got holes in the baseboards. In the baseboards of our home because of this little white fur ball. And I asked my wife, what are, what are you going to do about this dog? And she says, I'm going to feed it, and I'm going to pet it, and I'm going to love it while you fix those baseboards. That's what's going to happen with this dog. You know, why did the dog eat the baseboards? Because, well, because the dog is a dog. That's, just no, that's no shade being cast on the dog. That's just saying that's what they do, Right? Because they don't value. You could yell at the dog, why are you eating my baseboards? I know this, I tried it. You cannot exercise psychology on a, on a shizu. It just doesn't work. Why are you eating my baseboards? And the dog just looks at, you know, it's it. That's, that's the level 
that we can reach with this dog because the dog doesn't understand that that's not something it ought to be doing. It's not something it ought to eat. It's just doing what dogs do. Same thing Jesus is saying here. It would be rather foolish, don't you think, to, to take your valuable pearl necklace, pull out the string and just chunk it over to a herd of, a herd of pigs. Why? Because pigs, like dogs, have no value understanding in the fact that, of what you've just given them. You've just given them this thing that's wonderful. You've given this thing that has so much value. So much this thing that has cost you personally so much and they just don't get it. And so the pig tramples your pearls into the mud and as Jesus says, turns on you and will tear you to pieces demanding that you give it something else. Right? So in its context, Jesus is saying here, when you're dealing with other people and you're dealing with their problems, you need to be wise. You need to be wise and you need to be not wasteful. Because, because of this, this truth that we all know to be the case. Not everybody that asks for help really wants to change their situation. Now here's why I came this way this morning. And why I'm bringing this message. For years, decades, I have lived in a prison of my own making. Allowing my culture and allowing the expectations of other people that have been placed upon me to make me feel as if I don't Continue to give and give and give and give and give to the dogs and to the pigs that somehow there's something wrong with me. And I've come this way this morning with a fear and with a hope. My fear is that as we talk about this, there'll be some folks that are sitting here this morning, they'll hear this verse taught in its context and they'll walk away thinking, good, I don't have to ever help anybody. Because the preacher said, that's my fear. But my hope is that perhaps some of you have been living in a prison of your own making and you've been allowing the expectations, the unbiblical expectations of other people that have been forced upon you that, will, that cause you to always carry around this anxiety and this stress that somehow you're just not doing enough. And if you were doing enough and you were doing more and more and more and more, then suddenly somehow you could force everything to change. And yet the words of Jesus, the one who came saying, that, how can you know if I'm the Messiah? Well, let me tell you that the bound are set free. The captives have the gospel preached to them. Jesus said that He came to set the captives free. And I don't think He's just talking about those that were unrightfully imprisoned. I think He's talking about those that were imprisoned in a system of self-righteousness. That were all about a, a gospel according to the law rather than a gospel according to grace. But I think He was also talking about those people who have woven the prison that they live in by their own making. And so I come this, this way this morning in the hopes and believing that because this rather strange verse with a really weird title 
Well, it's what I really feel like God wanted me to say to you this morning. That if you come this way and you are beat down and worn out by constantly giving and giving and giving and giving to people who really don't appreciate or understand the help that you give, Jesus isn't saying you need to not be a giving person. That's not what He's saying. But He's saying, be wise and don't be wasteful. Because there, there are those people, and I saw many of you shake your heads, but would you agree with me that not everybody that asks for help really wants to change their situation? Would you agree with that? <laughs> but that sounds so bitter, doesn't it? So bitter and so jaded, so curmudgeony. That's not a word, but it is now that I've said it out loud and it's being streamed. Curmudgeony. It's, it's just, it, it just sounds like, well, Joel, you just need to take a vacation and just learn how to be nice. I'll take you on the vacation, but nice is not something that is going to happen all the time, every day. Because we live in a real world. And we serve a real Jesus. A Jesus that would help anybody. Amen? How many have been helped by Jesus here this morning? Right? A Jesus that would help anybody. But also a Jesus that would say to the, to the Martha Marthas in the room, don't, don't, don't be unwise. And don't be wasteful. What if Jesus is saying... What, what if His purpose here is not to be jaded or bitter but to set us free? What if His purpose could set us free from the expectations that other people have placed upon us about what we ought to do? What if we got to a place to where we really just didn't care so much about what other people thought and we cared infinitely more about what Jesus thought? I'm going to say that one more time. Because that needs to float in the air for a moment. What if we got to the place that we cared much less for what other people thought and cared infinitely more what Jesus thought? Could that set us free? Could that move us to a place to where we could serve Jesus much better than we had before because we weren't so concerned about what other people think? How do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us, don't give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. Well, what does that mean? What holy things? What, what pearls? What, what are we talking about? Well, I think, I think there are several examples that could fit this little proverb that's nested right here in this context, but I just want to give you three. Three examples of the pearls that I think Jesus is talking about. Number one, your life. Your life is precious. Your life is precious. Don't give what is holy to the dogs. Don't give your pearls, these things of great high values, to pigs. Now, again, so that my fear doesn't become a reality, Jesus didn't say that all people are worthless, just take care of yourself. That's not what He said. You can't make it say that. 
That's not what it said. What he's saying is be wise and, and balance compassion with wisdom. You need to know who it is you're trying to help. And there's only one way to know people, and that's, well, frankly, to do a little judging. Oh, the Bible says you shouldn't judge. Okay, we already covered that. No, no, what Jesus said was, He said, don't judge people beyond the standard you're ready to be judged with. And if you go on down a little further in this very same passage, down into verse 15, He tells us, beware of false prophets. Well, how in the world am I supposed to beware of a false prophet unless I do a little fruit inspecting and find out who they are? Right? And so what's Jesus saying here? How do you know a dog? How do you know a pig? Well, you just got to inspect some fruit. I know I'm mixing metaphors, but I think you're following me. So be wise, be in balance, compassion and wisdom. Know who they are. Do some, some fruit inspecting. Because at the end of the day, not everybody that asks for your help really wants to change their situation. And Jesus does not expect, nor does He recommend that you keep trying to change a situation in someone else that they don't really want to change. If I can just be blunt with you, if the, if the Holy Spirit hasn't broken through to them yet, you don't have chance. I see this happen all the time in, in pastoral ministry as well as in counseling offices. People pay for advice that they have no intention of following whatsoever. If they followed the advice, their situation would improve. But they keep making excuses for not following the advice that they said they wanted. How do you know who the pigs are? Well, you don't until you see how they handle your pearls. But here's something that sounds a bit bitter and jaded. I'll grant you that, but I think it is truth. And I think it's part of what Jesus has going on behind the scenes of this verse here, and that is this. Most pigs tend to love the pen they're in. On the other hand, hear me well, on the other hand, there are some people out there that are in really bad spots that have made some really poor decisions and they are in a mess. And they are in a genuine need of genuine help. And they don't know which way to turn. And like the man that had fallen among thieves and is laying over in the ditch, if the good Samaritan, if you do not come along, well then their end is going to be quite tragic indeed. We're told in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Yes, it is true. Somebody ought to do something. And one of the problems that we have in our church, with most of the people that occupy the pews in our churches, is that nobody wants to do anything. And if you think it's just Simmons Grove, I'm telling you it's not. Before COVID, it was the 80-20 rule. 80% of the work was done by 20% of the people. COVID changed all that. Now it's a 90-10 rule. 90% of the work's being done by 10% of the people. And vice versa. I know that 90% that's not really doing anything is going to be so thrilled with what they think they're hearing right now. Whew, yes, preacher said, I don't have to help anybody. No. No, what, what, what Jesus is saying is when you, when you do help people, and I think the assumption is stronger than the commandment. Agreed? 
When you do help people, help them and be wise. When you offer help, make sure that your help is actually help. You understand what I mean? Enabling someone to remain in the pen that they're in is not actual help. Now is it? <laughs> um, I, 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 I dare share this story because it did happen not too far from here, but I will change the names to protect the guilty. We had a, a, a lady in a community uh, not too far from here that would call the church office on a fairly regular basis requesting help with her power bill. Now, I believe that it is one of the duties of the Christian church to help people who are in need. And all God's people said, we ought to help people who are in need. She, she would call and she would say, Pastor, I've got this much that I owe on my power bill and I really need you all to step in and help me. And so we did. And the next month she called, and Pastor, I've got trouble with my power bill. I really need you all to step in and help me. And so we did. That happened about three months in a row and we, we, me, instituted a new policy that we would help people every three months. I explained that to her when she called back on month four. Two months later, and you can do the math, two months later, the phone rings, Pastor, it's been three months, I need help on my power bill. She wrote it down on her calendar. So the help we were helping wasn't helping. Nothing was changing with that situation. Y'all feel me? And what I'm here to say today is, look, we got to help people. But if the help that we're helping isn't helping, we got to change the help that we're helping with. I confused myself with that, but I hope y'all got it, right? It, it's just got to be done differently, so make sure that the help that you're giving is, is, is not enabling. If your pearls are repeatedly trampled, then it's time to withdraw from the pigs. And not, not get bitter and mean and, and jaded and say, well, I'm not going to help anybody ever again. No, it's just time to move on to somebody who really will appreciate that help. Now, in very rapid fashion, let me give you a couple of other examples that I think fit what Jesus is saying here. Pearl number two, the gospel. The gospel is a precious thing. A thing of tremendous value. The gospel is certainly something that is holy. And it's something that ought not be tinkered with. And our culture demands a different gospel than has been preached from this pulpit and is being preached from this pulpit. Our culture demands a gospel that is mixed with progressive Christianity that will endorse any lifestyle without any demand for change. They want social reform. Social reform that throws off any sense of authority or accountability. That's not, what, that's not the gospel Jesus preached. They want, in, for the lack of a better word, a toothless gospel. A gospel that promises heaven for everyone but threatens hell for no one. This gospel that is preached from this Bible, though, runs counter to this world's idea. This gospel does not say you can be whoever you choose to be. This gospel says, die to yourself. Take up the cross and follow Jesus. You know, I love carrot cake. Now, if there's no carrot cake downstairs, I will not be offended. You just didn't know. 
But I love carrot cake. I can't stand onions. Okay? If you take carrot cake and pull the onions, uh, pull the carrots out and put onions in, bless your heart. I can't say anything nice about that cake. And what you have at the end is not a carrot cake, right? You have a, an abomination is what you have. Okay? You, you, you feel what I'm saying? You take the gospel and you change the ingredients of it and what you end up with is not the gospel at all. And it's a gospel that cannot save. It's a gospel that cannot help anyone. It is this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that this world desperately needs but doesn't always want. So what do we do when there are those that continually reject this gospel? Well, I want to be very careful about how I say this because, again, I don't want to grant license to anyone to do the wrong thing, but... You know, I think sometimes we as the church, we keep hammering away on that one person that we want to see receive the gospel and be saved when there are ten others that are on their way to the same hell. That we overlook, we keep casting those same pearls before those same swine, expecting a different result when there might be, there might just be some wisdom that needs to come in that says, you know what, maybe we just need to let the Holy Spirit work here a little bit more while we go share Jesus with these people. Because if the Holy Spirit hasn't broken through yet, what are a group of Baptists going to do about it? Again, my fear with this is somehow you're going you're to take from this that we just need to not do anything. I can't really stop that from happening. I think if that was your heart when you came this morning, you're going to find an excuse to do nothing anyway. My desire is to set some people free from unreasonable expectations, unbiblical expectations, expectations placed upon you by family or by culture that are just not expectations that come from Jesus. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is that your soul is precious. Your soul is precious. How much is a soul worth? Anybody? Can you put a price tag on that? I was at the... Uh, Antique Mall in Concord not too long ago. If you've never been, don't. It's, 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 if it was on fire, it would be hell. It just would. You just get in and you just wonder and everything looks the same and you can't get out. You can't. That's just my opinion. It would have been better if we took the shizu with us, I'm sure. But I'm in there in this antique mall not too long ago and, I, and I, I'm looking at one of the vendors and looking at something that he's got. And I said, there's no price tag on this. How much is it worth? And I'll never forget what he said. He looked me straight in the eye and said, it's worth what I can get somebody to pay for it. That's an honest answer. It's worth what I can get somebody to pay for it. In other words, it's junk. But if you'll give me $20, it can be yours. It's a funny little story, but how much is a soul worth? Well, it's worth what you can get somebody to pay for it. And what was paid for your soul? What was laid down to redeem your soul?
and my soul. Your soul is an extremely precious thing. And I, I need you to hear me. This world cares nothing for your soul. This world is looking at your soul as a priceless pearl that it wants to trample. It seeks only pride, prominence, and profit. The devil, your soul means nothing to him. Not really. Being able to somehow capture your soul and have that soul spend eternity in hell is just a way for him to try to hurt Jesus. That's all your soul means to him. Your flesh. It's deceived, it's depraved. And your own flesh would sacrifice your soul for one more taste of pleasure. So don't waste what Jesus died to redeem on that which sees no value in it. Don't throw away your soul. If you do, life in this, on this side and eternity on the next will turn and tear you to pieces. I'm convinced that there are a lot of people in this room right now that are living in a prison of their own making. Maybe somebody here this morning is lost. You're casting your soul and your testimony and all these other things before the pigs of this world and you are ridden with guilt and shame. You can end that today. You can be set free from that today. If you surrender yourself to Jesus Christ and be born again, I'm sure there are also some others that are in a prison of being burdened, weighted down by expectation. Whether expectation that is self-imposed or cultural or from your family or from your church or whatever. But expectations that not only didn't come from Jesus, but run counter to the expectations of Jesus. If that's you, wouldn't you just come today? Confess this sin of worry. Confess this sin of thinking that you can do what God hasn't done yet. And be set free from the expectations of what I have come to call sweet southern hypocrisy. And move on. Be set free and move on. Because if God's put breath in your lungs, then there's somebody that needs your help. No, not everybody that asks for your help really wants to change their situation. But there are those that need you. And as long as we overwhelm ourselves, endlessly casting our pearls before the pigs... We'll have neither time, resources, or energy to help the ones Jesus has put into our path. Would you this morning come and be set free? I want to pray with you. Jacob's going to come. He's going to take the invitation from here. But if you need that today, this is your chance. And let's do business with God. Let's pray together. Would you stand as we pray? Father, we thank You so much for who You are. 
We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that above everything else, the most precious thing, the greatest pearl without price is the gift of Jesus and his gospel. Lord, we pray today that through that you would set both the sinner and the saved sinner free. That you would free people today that might be able to serve you better. And other places with other people as you continue to work on those that have yet to have their nature changed. We surrender it to you now, Lord, and pray that you would do what only you can in Jesus' name. Amen.